Welcome to episode 22 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 22 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm Andrew Hines, and thanks so much for being here with me today. Today, I have an amazing guest on the show. His name's Dylan McLaughlin. The guy's only 26 years old, started investing at the age of 20. He's got, uh, I think he said seven or eight properties right now. It's in the interview, and he's roughly at $8,000 a month in cash flow at such a young age. Really wise guy, and I'm really, really excited to share this interview with you. A couple of things. I uh, love to do the housekeeping before we get started. Number one, if you haven't already, please subscribe. Of course, please share this with a friend. If you wouldn't mind, give me a review because reviews and ratings, those are what help other people to find this podcast so I can spread the word more, help more people and build a bigger community around this. And then the other thing is, if you're new to this podcast and you haven't checked out all the episodes yet, go right back to episode one. I built a chronology here. I've only been doing this since February 15th of this year, 2019. So it's all fresh. It's all current. Check out these guests. It's it's meant to help you get started if you haven't started. And even for people who are experienced, there's tons of gold nuggets all the way through. So so eat it up, use it up. It's it's that's what it's there for. It's just free value. And I want you to get the most out of it. Other housekeeping items, we just finished up our most recent Greater Hamilton REI meetup, and that is a meetup that I started with a friend of mine, fellow investor in the area, Travis Roy Un, and Travis and I both wanted to help bring people together, help build them up, and we'll also grow ourselves, and we just know that getting people in a room together talking about real estate is always a good thing, so we had 40 strong this one. And we're looking forward to growing it. We've actually outgrown our space and it's only our second meetup. So really looking forward to the next one. If you want to reach me, I am at the Andrew Hines on Instagram and Facebook. Happy to connect with uh, with fellow investors and uh, talk shop. Without further ado, here is the interview with Dylan McLaughlin. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Dylan McLaughlin on the show today. Dylan, yo, yo, how's it going, Andrew? It's going well. Thank you for being here. Slash, thank you for allowing me to come to your house. And oh, no worries. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I really look forward to having a chat with you. Yeah, so I heard one of your podcasts on another podcast and I'm like, I want to have that guy on my podcast. Definitely. And uh, we bumped into each other this past weekend. Just so happens I'm at the mansion. I just shot a podcast right before this with Adam and uh, hey, why not? Why not be efficient? So these will slowly trickle out uh, as I have time to edit them. But uh, all right. So Dylan, you're an interesting story from what I gather, just because I met you. I don't know. Was it like four years ago? It was a while ago. It was a while ago. Yeah, probably closer to three. Three years yeah. ago at one of the local London meetups, which is why I started my own meetup. Just quick shout out for that, uh, because it makes such a big difference. You get around people who are investing and things start going quickly. Yes. Things went quickly for you, evidently. And a little bit. Why don't you just uh, tell us a little bit about your background, Dylan, how old you are right now and when you got started? Cool. Definitely. So right now I'm 26 years old and I got started investing when I was 20 years old. So I was almost 21. It was just kind of right before my birthday. So, you know, I mean, we're just coming up on the five year mark of how long I've been investing for. And yeah, basically, if you'd like me to just go into my story, Please I do. kind of work things through. So yeah, around 20 years old, I uh, kind of was in a similar story to many young 
young people, I imagine, where I was living at home at the time. I had just graduated from college and I was working. I ended up going into construction as an electrician. So at the time, I had started saving up some money. I've kind of been a lifelong uh, practitioner of frugality and always working hard, saving money, always had jobs sort of high school and all that. So I had a nice chunk of change and wanted to move out. Now, I could have just rented and that's what most people typically do. But at the time, um, I did have a little bit of an entrepreneurial itch. And I'd always kind of had the idea of investing in real estate and getting a place, renting it out, you know, I mean, paying for your mortgage or subsidizing your living costs to an extent. And so, you know, I mean, I always had that spark and I just decided to go in and, and do that. So that first deal took me about a year of researching, getting knowledge together. I remember like reading every book I could find. I literally went to the library and took out like 12 books at the time, just had a big book bag, poured through that, poured mm-hmm. through forms, just everything I could do. I had one friend in my network who's still a great buddy to this day, uh, shout out Paul Plumstead. And so, you know, I mean, spending lots of time with him, he was actually doing another deal as well. So I was helping him work on that. I was doing the electrical work, renovating, obviously, as a construction maintenance electrician. So, you know, I mean, building experience there. And yeah, it still took me about a year to get that first property. And so once I got that uh, nice little house hack student rental where I was kind of living in the lower unit of a granny suite and then renting out the upper units, I additionally had the option of renting out some more of my units to actually increase cash flow. But yeah, literally having my own units, moving out and just renting the top, I was actually profiting like one or $200 per month. So it was awesome. And then, yeah, shortly after I got a roommate. So I was actually making some really good coin on top of that. And that's when I realized I was like, hey, this real estate stuff's legit. Like, let's double down. Let's really go into this. Okay. So that first one that was, you said roughly five years ago? Yes. Roughly that. Okay. And that was before Larrick. Was that before you met any of these guys that are in London? Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. So where it was just the the book reading, the, the motivations you'd found externally, I'm assuming Rich Dad, Poor Dad was in there. Yeah. Yeah. So- Rich Dad Poor Dad was uh, a really early one that I had stumbled on that idea, and I loved that concept. For me, I think the real gateway drug was the Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. Love that book. Oh, fantastic! And it was really—I think it was the idea that you can have your cake and eat it too. You know what I mean? Like we all—we all know what leads to success, right? You want to make more money, you work harder. You know what I mean? You want to be in better shape, you, you just work out or eat healthier. Like we all know the simple answer, but the problem is in life is that a lot of times. You can't have your cake and eat it too, right? You could be that guy that works 80 hours a week and has a lot of money, but then you have no life, right? And so Mm -hmm. when I was younger, I was always kind of dealing with this idea of what is a better path. And yeah, four-hour work week was kind of cool to experience that because this guy, Tim Ferriss, he'd figured it out, right? He was making tons of money, living life on autopilot and still able to have amazing, cool experiences and really do Mm -hmm. what made him passionate. Yeah, I guess the uh, the pre story on on his story is that he hit a rock bottom first. Yes, which I see is so common. Which I don't I don't know if that really happened for you. Uh, that you hit that that pain point where you said, okay, it's time yeah. to go all in on real estate to change my life. Did that happen for you, or was that was it more of a gradual transition? It was definitely more of a gradual transition. And so, yeah, actually, and I think it's amazing that you bring that up too, because a lot of people miss that in the four hour work week. They go, oh yeah, I just want to work a four hour work week. Let's just automate everything, but. In the actual book itself, Tim Ferriss was at the point where he had a $70,000 a month uh, supplement company. He was a workaholic before then working many jobs. So, I mean, he's built that point where he'd worked so hard and built a lot of things. And it was more a matter of scaling back, which a lot of people miss in that book. So, yeah, I was fortunate. There's been periods where I have been not necessarily rock bottom, but definitely overworked and frustrated with what's happening. 
putting out too much effort and not really feeling like you're getting that full amount back. And so sometimes in those scenarios, you do have to take a little bit of a step back, recalibrate and have more intelligent goals moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I think intelligent goals are definitely a big part of it. Mm-hmm. I, I just feel like everybody is going to have that motivating moment, you know, that moment where, where it just sucks. Like you just, you just realize, Hey, you know what? This is a broken system or this is a broken approach. Yes. And I know that I had, I'm not sure if I've shared this on the podcast before, but I, I used to work in, uh, in mortgages and, and I still have my mortgage license, but it was the way I was doing things. There was a period where I was living in a $1,500 a month apartment when I really wasn't making that much money. So I was, I felt like I was sort of a prisoner in my life and that I had to go to work every day. And I actually, there was just this period where I was just doing things at work that I just didn't like. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a breaking point for me. And I remember I drove up to the office one day and I like literally shed tears. I'm like, this is my life. Like I'm, I'm unhappy every single morning, like and, and all day long. And I'm working long hours and going home and like spending all my money and having nothing left to show for it. And I'm like, whoa, I'm, I really, my shit is broken. <laughs> yeah. And, and when I, that happened, I instantly got rid of that apartment and uh, I, I started researching how I could start running my own business, you know, how I could start building up my own clients and, and you know, basically like a realtor builds business, I would be doing the same. Smart. And that transitioned me. I moved back to London, but it, there was a pain point there. And and those pain points, I, I can pretty well specifically identify them in my major milestone achievement moments. Like this happened and then boom, now I took massive action to overcome it. Yeah, it would be awesome if you could avoid that. If you could just skip the pain part, uh, and I'm sure there is a way, a way to skip it. Yeah, that's actually it's so cool that you share that story. And I think actually you kind of touched on it earlier when you were asking me about that pain point that lower. I went through a similar thing with that first job before stumbling upon the four hour work week. I was working yeah. a construction job. We travel out to Northern Ontario, work eighty hour work weeks. You know what I mean? You're living in these gross camps. The thing is, the money was great. I was happy. I had reached all my goals. It's kind of like man on the moon syndrome when the astronauts, their goal all their life is to land on the moon. And then they land there and they're like, oh, wait, this is it. And there's a lot of times, yeah, they hit a low point after that. So I was still feeling, I was still riding the high of having a good job and making some good money. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the 80 hour work weeks were soul crushing. And and it was funny because at that time, what was defined as financial success to me all I knew about financial success was kind of from my parents, from my elders. And I remember when I started this job, I ended up getting a job through a family connection, kind of friends of the family. And I remember my parents talking about the uh, friend's son who was working at the company and he'd worked his way up a little bit. And they're like, yeah, this guy, he's so successful. He has $100,000 in the bank. <laughs> Listen, this young guy, he's not even 30 yet. And he has $100,000. He could buy a house if he wants to. And like, here's me. I was probably 18 at that time. So I'm like, I had no yeah. concept of what. But then, yeah, I, I after working there for like a year, I'm like, how how is that really success? And I saw his life, right? And they used to call him stinky on the job sites because he wouldn't shower. He'd just work all day and then pass yeah. out in the bed. So, you know what I mean? It's like, that's the thing that could be some people's view of financial success, but there's definitely a higher level. And I think once you reach higher levels of success, then you solve some of those problems that cause you that depression that caused you to go to that low point. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I mean, I, I don't really have those anymore, but I do remember, you know, like I think I think the key is remembering that it yeah. could, right? If you let things go or if you if you take actions in a certain direction, sometimes I'll think back and I'll be like, if if I don't take massive action soon, mm-hmm. 
you know, maybe I'll end up in a position where I don't want to be, you know, like, you know, the motivation to go out and fly or a neighborhood or, or yeah. do something like that. You know, everything's good and there's no real pressure on. So I actually have to like put myself there. I'm like, what, what was it that I got out of, you know, back when there was a pain point and just refresh my memory. Okay, boom, time to take some action. Like, you know what I mean? Like there, there are other things that you can do. And I think that's a Tony Robbins strategy too. He says, yeah, yeah. Immerse yourself either in exactly what you want or the pain of not doing it yeah and right it, seek reward or, or avoid yeah. pain and yeah he's a people, stick yeah he even i think he even indicates that people are actually more motivated to avoid pain than they i are. think so yeah. yeah yeah and i'm probably personally i think it would be better uh, especially as like an entrepreneur Stay focused on the goal right yeah to be all, like success driven yeah. um but yeah I'm, i think i'm naturally pessimistic too i don't even know if it's necessarily pessimistic but it's just fear you know in survival instinct right like i yeah. think some people just like if you realize okay it's not it's not going to go away. Right. I, I've seen this in people where they'll like if, if there's a problem, like people who experience financial difficulties, I see it in some of my tenants yeah. <laughs> uh, where um, they owe money and, and their their knee jerk reaction is to stop answering their phone, to ignore all requests, ignore emails. Like anytime my tenants would miss their rent, yeah. mysteriously, their phone numbers stopped working. Uh, they weren't responding to emails. And then the second they want something, I won't hear from them. You know, I'll serve them notice, you know, for eviction and all that. And then like something breaks in the house and I get a call a month and a half later. They, they need something right. Yeah. Like, people have this funny emotional thing where they don't uh, they don't uh, respond or they'll ignore things that are a problem. Right. So what I, I think has worked for me in my life is actually face the problems. Yes. Face them. Because 100%. when you face them, you, you, you realize you can be objective about it and then you can get past that emotional overreaction and just say, OK, I, I acknowledge this and now let's go. Let's go do something about it. Exactly. Yeah. I love that we're going down this path because I yeah. listened to one of your earlier episodes. You're talking about like the positive mindset, bringing yeah. forth the problems. And yeah. that's so important, right? It's it's knowing the positive mindset, but then and having practical yeah. ways to use it. So like what you're kind of touching on, uh, the the book, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, okay. resistance always points to true north. So when you're feeling this emotional resistance or physical resistance towards completing an action, typically mm-hmm. that's the action you have to complete. Wow. Yeah. That's that's deep. I, I, I definitely have more uh, more reading to do. I have my audio book uh, library, but uh, oh, like War what? of Action? Uh, the War of Art. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Stephen Art. Pressfield. Fantastic right. book, yeah. It's a quick read, quick, easy audio book. So yeah, highly recommend. Cool. Yeah, I just wrote it down. Oh, so we've gotten a little bit into mindset, but I would I would definitely yes. like to know about you and, and your current portfolio. You're 26 years old now, and I think most people would be highly envious of what you've accomplished. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then once they hear you speak, they'll probably understand the amount of attention you've placed on your goals. Definitely. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're at right now and what your goal is? Perfect. Yeah. So right now I have seven rental properties that I own. I own six of them fully outright. And then the seventh is, it wasn't the seventh property, but one of the properties is a joint venture where I own 50-50 with a partner. Okay. So those seven properties work out to about 22 units. Four of them are student rentals with two units. So I kind of consider them two units, although they're like five, six bedroom student rentals. Mm -hmm. And then the other three, the the last three properties were actually three acquisitions I made last year. Those were all multifamily. So two fourplexes and a sixplex. Were these all on market deals that you found or are they off market or a mix? Yeah. So actually most of my deals have been off market. I think three of them have been on market deals. The rest have all been private off market deals. Okay. And approximately what net cash flow are you seeing from this portfolio as it stands currently? 
Yeah, so currently I'm seeing about, I would say seven or $8,000 net cash flow. And that's with kind of all costs in. I do um, take, typically I factor in about maybe 10% of the gross rent for capital expenditures and like renovations and stuff like that. And then I'll also do maybe another 10% of gross rent which kind of factors into like vacancy or property management or, or whatever like that. Yes. Kind of just the rough numbers I plug in. Okay. I find we always kind of have metrics. At the end of the day, we know what a good deal is when you see it, but yeah. Yeah, the key is being consistent though, right? You, you have your approach and you look at every deal the same way. It's kind of like your paradigm for real estate. Yes. And I do the same thing. I don't take seller's numbers. Yeah. I, t- I have my spreadsheet. So what's the property tax? What's, you know, I make my own assumption for insurance usually. Yeah. But any hard number, what's your annual gas bill? You know, if, if it's a, a larger building, right? They can confirm those. Mm-hmm. But anything that's subjective, I'll use my assumptions. Yeah. Because as if I'm going to take their estimate, oh, we don't have any fee for garbage. The I just do it. No, that has a cost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that has a cost. So I just, you know, build it all in. So then, yeah, again, then you have a, a, a standard way of looking at things. So 100%. That's gold. Yeah. yeah. So what you're saying is basically your your 7 to 8000 is an extremely conservative estimate at this point. Yes, that's a very conservative. I usually outperform that. Mm-hmm. And then additionally right now, so as I was saying last year, I had a really good year for acquisitions, three properties, about 14 units. So I still have quite a bit of work to do on those and I'm turning over. I think I have four units right now that I'm kind of in the process of renovating and turning over. So I'm hopeful that when all of those bump over and everything's all kind of clean and, you know, I mean, systematized within a year, I'm hoping to be kind of scratching at the 10K a month. Now, that's maybe a more generous 10K with like my CapEx and some management fees. I'll probably be a little bit under that. Um, But yes, the big goal I've been really been shooting for $10,000 a month cash flow. I love that. Yeah, that nice number, right? You got the- Damn, Dylan, you're beating me. Really? Wait a minute. (laughs) Oh, no way. You know, my my strategy, uh, so I'm just turning one over right now. I think I'll be around thirty five, thirty six hundred a month. Mm-hmm. Extremely conservative. Nice. Yeah. So I will outperform that, but um I, I like to look at my numbers that way. I think my challenge has been I've always gone into like A markets for student rentals where the cash flow expectation is not as high mm-hmm. relative to what you have to pay to get the building. Yeah. So I like what, you know, you and Kellen have done. I, I'm not sure of all the exact neighborhoods you're in, but you've gone into slightly higher cash flowing neighborhoods based on the acquisition price. But mm-hmm. then you're also getting killer deals. Yes. So the combination of those two things. So kind of my own self doing. So I'm looking at making some changes with that. But I always just want to like, I don't know if you've seen some of my renovations. I always just want to do like, yeah, everything to the nines. They're beautiful. Yeah. So the addition. Oh, man. Decisions, you know, decisions I've made. Um, I'm still working towards my hitting the 10. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what I've seen more of is is the massive net worth growth because of what I've done. Yeah. Which so I could cash that out. But but, uh, you know, I just kind of made the decision to stay on the path. I'm not I don't want to sell things. Mm-hmm. So I'll refinance them and keep keep growing. And, you know, even looking at my existing properties and saying, hey, I can actually add a secondary unit in the backyard. Yeah, I have two properties where I the zoning will allow me to. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at stuff like that. But anyways, we're getting on a, a tangent. You're killing it at 26 years old. Thank you. Yeah. And almost, you know, so maybe say by 27, you're at 10. Yeah. Um, put that in perspective compared to the average Canadian, the average American. We've got people in both countries listening to this. Yeah. What they would do if if you told them that was possible. You know what I mean? There, we have people in their 40s listening that that are probably shaking their head right now. Like, what decisions did I make? You know, <laughs> and, and well, 
it's not too late, right? It's not too late. Exactly. It happens quick. Like not yeah. only myself, but at least four or five other guys in my network that I've seen go yeah. from like zero to a hundred in terms of scaling up all this passive cash flow. I know you had Kellen yeah. Panicia on the podcast. Yeah. I know you had Mike Rosehart on the podcast, other guys mm-hmm. here in London, Ontario, even that are just crushing it in that way. Yeah. And I love it. And I, again, goes back to network and, and why I want to make you guys a bigger part of my circle, because you're doing something that I wasn't in, in getting higher numbers in cash flow. And I want to know what you know, and I want to apply it in my markets too. So awesome. um, these are, you know, I, I just love what you guys have done. This this community here in in London, how you guys have all taken high performers and you get in the same room and you watch watch good things happen. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm absolutely interested in doing much, much more of that. So nice. uh, really, really cool uh, what you're doing. Okay, so you've got the eight eight thousand roughly right now. Lots of work to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the obvious question that I'm sure many are asking is, "You're 26. Where did you get the down payments? Yes. How are you getting the mortgages? How are you making this strategy work?" Definitely. So my first property, that one, I had saved up a lot of money. Right, always been hustling, and I was fortunate enough to to go into construction. With the construction industry, you're not having a lot of education costs. I did go to post secondary and got a diploma at a college, but you know what I mean? I wasn't out of a lot of money. There's a lot of tax advantages there too. So yeah, first one, boom, I had a nice big 20% down, down payment, did a 30 year amortized mortgage to increase cash flow. At the time I was working at a pretty reasonable job and everything like that. So first deal locked in nice, nice and easy, about $50,000 to get me started. That property was a pretty easy renovation. So I didn't sink too much cash into that. And so then really right after I bought that, I was kind of cash flowing and starting to save for the next one. So at that point, I'd bought one, but then my second one is when I used the 5% down um, principal residence kind right. of high high ratio mortgage. Okay. So that one I was able to, my second property is another student rental. Once again, very high cash flowing. I was able to buy that one with a 5% down. With that one, I did utilize a little bit of creative financing with kind of um, a mortgage plus improvement strategy, which I could go into that. It's It's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's just dig into what it is real quick. So, so Perfect. you, you go 95% down. So here in Canada, we can do that. If it's your home, you put 5% down, they, they charge this insurance premium and they add it to your mortgage, Yes. but you can go get a couple of quotes from a contractor yes. and you can apply for a purchase plus improvements por- uh, program where they'll just add the total to your mortgage. And then as you do the work, you can get the money back from your lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll they'll basically just hold the money for you. And then anything you didn't spend at the end, say you did it a little cheaper, they just put it back down on your mortgage and pay it off partly. Exactly. So that's the simplified estimate or explanation. There are, there's a pro and a con to that strategy. The pro is you can get the money as you go. Mm-hmm. The con is they're only going to give you the cost. But what if the cost of what you're doing is adding more value than that, right? Because then yes. technically... This is where that Burr strategy comes in, where you buy something, you renovate it, and then you rent it out and refinance it after. So this is kind of skipping the refi. You're just adding the value. Yeah, exactly. Great job. I'm glad you you took that because that was way better than I could have explained it. And that's exactly, I did use some creative financing on that second deal. So 5% down, right? Barely any money. Mm -hmm. And I've actually even heard of guys use kind of their RSP money to finance. You can typically do that with principal too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, that second property, I really had very little money into that deal because I used some creative financing with the refi. So got into that one. At that point, I had two properties now. I was living for free and I was working construction. So sometimes you can get on jobs where you're making a decent amount of money, even as a, a young man, right? With very little skills. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, at that point, the machine was starting to generate. Yeah, I mean, they always talk about like that snowball picking up yes. in the investing circle. 
So the snowball wasn't really fully getting momentum, but it was kind of just starting to move. So then, yeah, once again, I think it took me about another year to save for my third property. And that one, I was able to save up the, um, at that time, like around 45,000. So enough to get into another 20% down. And so just being frugal, basically, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, living, uh, low living expenses and then just working, being busy and then putting the money into those assets that are cash flowing well. It, yeah, you were working full time, right? Yes. Additionally too, I want to mention kind of, uh, I was trying to tie it in with the creative financing on the second mortgage, but additionally at that time too, um, there's a lot of interesting ways you can leverage money with real estate investing because you do have access to things like um, the big box hardware stores have credit cards that you can get massive amounts of credit for. Like it's just ridiculous. I'll, I'll call out like Home Depot. I love them. Home Depot is amazing, but it's insane. Like you open up a credit card with Home Depot, you call their credit support company. They're not like a big bank and mm-hmm. they're looking to just give out tons of money because they know you're going to buy stuff in their store with that money. So yeah, you just call them up and boom, you're approved for $20,000, right? And right. you're able to use that credit in creative ways uh, to keep leveraging forward. So mm-hmm. I've never been one of those guys that's super crazy leveraged or, you know what I mean, like maxed out on debt. But I think if you can get access to, you know what I mean, interest-free debt, like all day, use that if you can. Oh, you're saying, oh, because Home Depot will do like the six month, no interest. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually 18 month. So you oh, can okay. get uh, 18 month. Um, if you purchase over like $200 or something like that during their promotions, they have one almost every month. But the thing is you can buy gift cards with that money. So, yeah, I mean, you buy like a $5,000 gift card or like two $2,000 gift cards, I think is their max. Then you have 18 months to pay that money off. So you can literally flip two projects in that time before that, that money is due. And it's at 0% interest. You just have to make a minimal principal payment. There's, yeah, Home Depot has one. At the time I was using MBNA a lot. Their credit card is really flexible, that kind nice. of stuff. Nowadays, though, it's getting ridiculous. I'm seeing all a lot of big banks and credit card companies offering these cash advance or balance transfers at very yeah. low fees. I, I find it so insane. Our banking system is so difficult to get <laughs> any type of mortgage. But I get probably at least one a month credit yeah. card offer. And I already have like 10. <laughs> exactly. Every, every company I have has a credit card. Yep. And then they're trying to offer me overdraft protection at, at like 20% or whatever. You know, the second they can attach a, an 18 to 20% re, uh, return on their end, uh, an interest rate, hey, they'll give you credit all day long. Yeah. And then you get those occasional offers where it's a, a decreased rate. And those are things like I remember my first major renovation. I, I combined like three credit cards. Yeah. Uh, so I, I borrowed private mortgages. So for my first and second mortgage to like finance it, I, I put zero down on this property. It was creative financing. I have a really good mentor for this. So uh, it wasn't all me. Like I had I had great mentors uh, showing me how to do this. Mm-hmm. And then the deal was I needed to do the work first and then get the money back. Problem was I had no money. <laughs> so, yeah. so I had a couple of properties. They used those as security to get to get me uh, the deals. And then I took the credit card offers that I had coming to me and I just took them and and I was spending so much money like lumber, like the lumber and hardware store had my credit card on file yeah. and with an authorization to just charge it. So <laughs> I'm like, everything I need, I'm like, if this guy comes in and he needs two by fours, let him do it, you know, like let nice. him charge the card. So I was putting through like 10, 20, 30, $40,000 a month on the card mm-hmm. and getting crazy points. And then they just kept bumping my limits, bumping my limits. And soon yeah. enough, like I probably have over a hundred, maybe $130,000 of available credit card limit nice. right now. I mean, yeah. I could renovate a house on those, you know, and, and even if it's 20%, honestly, I don't really care because if I'm renovating something, I'm not going to be taking a year. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to do it in, in, you know, 
six months max, maybe four months. That first one I did in three and a half. Yeah. yeah. And that's so, the crazy thing. That 20% is the worst case scenario. That's if you're not yeah. utilizing an incentive or an offer. Yeah. 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 So, so creative, looking for creative opportunities to find money, especially before you have any real estate. Mm-hmm. Credit cards are probably going to be your renovation friend. Yeah. Um, and you do, you just build it into your numbers, right? Like yep. if you sit down with an Excel sheet and you figure at 20%, if I'm borrowing $50,000 in total for three months, how much does that really work out to? And if you're objective about it and you get past the fact that you're paying 20%, which really sucks. Yeah. It's not that big of a deal. No. And, right. Yeah. So I know we kind of went on a tangent there, but I think that's really cool. Like I've heard of this concept of credit card stacking and I, I never really got a clear explanation, but I think that's what they mean. Right. You just literally just take all the credit cards that you, you're getting available to you and you just use them yeah. to buy houses, to renovate houses. Uh, it can be really, really effective strategy. Definitely. Another little pro tip mm-hmm. for kind of the more experienced listeners. Sometimes you can take a credit card and then if you have a line of credit with that same financial institution, you can actually roll the credit from a credit card into a line of credit. And so once again, just like you're mentioning earlier, it's ridiculous because banks have these arbitrary kind of risk tolerances about certain financial products, but credit card, they'll give that money away or they'll give you credit card credit mm-hmm. all day. So you just build up some credit cards and then roll that into your line of credit. Scotia does this amazingly. You I mean, I've been churning this for a while with them. I have a couple lines of credit yeah. over like $60,000 with them, a few different ones. You have so. different, oh, wow. Okay, you're you're putting me to shame right now. It's, it's nuts because they stack. Uh, yeah. yeah. So what I did, yeah, same thing. So so for our American friends, find out if, if your institution will allow you to convert your credit card uh, limit into line of credit, personal line of credit limit. Yeah. So that's what we were able to do here. Uh, I don't know of any other Canadian banks that are allowing this, but Scotia being the one, they uh, let they you know they gave me an Amex that was like twenty thousand, and then I had another card that was like twenty two thousand, and then they offered me another offer for fifteen, and I was like literally rejecting them, and I was going into the bank, and I'm like I don't really want this, uh, and you know I had other cards, I'm like you know what can we just get rid of these because I'm not using them. I don't want to pay the annual fee. They're like, oh, are you sure, sir? Because you can convert them into a line of credit. I'm like, what? Oh, they gave you the key too. That's awesome. They even told me. And and I sat down with the guy. He's like, yes, if you're an A client of ours, so if you you have an internal credit rating with that bank, that's considered A, whatever their rating system is. Apparently I was. uh, I had a mortgage with them. That's all I had. Yeah. They said you could do whatever you want. And they gave me prime, which our prime interest rate is like, right now it's 3.95. Yes, most likely around there. Brian plus, uh, I think, 1.3. So I'm saying I'm right around 5% on that money. Yeah. That's a joke. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, one thing that I will say, so I've I've put about 30,000 on that uh, that's just sitting there and I just make the minimum payment. I have a 50, I think a $52,000 limit on that one. So key tip here, just coming from the mortgage business, do not max that type of uh, line out. Don't, yes. Don't exceed 75% of your limit mm-hmm. because the second you do that, then the credit reporting agencies start start looking at you as a credit seeker and a credit abuser. Mm-hmm. As long as you stay below that, it's considered unsecure credit. As long as you stay below 75% of your limit, you should be just fine. Yeah. This is not my official advice. This is my experience. You're going to have to test your own market and ask your own questions just, just for the record. So Yeah, you're 100% yeah. about that. You, you you can play this game. There is a little bit of a risk in terms yeah. of hurting your credit score, but that's yeah. really less of a financial risk. And once again, it's so easy to mitigate. Like you said, you have yeah. tons of credit for credit cards. So I'm sure your credit score is now much more resilient yeah. than the average consumer. I've kept an eye on it. And, yeah. you know, just as coming from that background and, and I, it, you know, I used to to do some of the renovations myself because I wanted to understand what went into it. I think coming from a mortgage background, 
the way I understand how credit works, the way I understand how private mortgages work, the properties in the projects that I look at now and think that's a very reasonable thing to do, most people are afraid of. Yeah. And most people start very afraid of. And, yeah. And even from the average, I, I kind of carve my own path. I do things a little bit differently and, and the projects are a little bit more involved. Mm-hmm. But the end product's nice. I mean, they're amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely am, am keen and, and envious in a way of, of what you've been able to do, because I know your projects are not as grand in terms of mm-hmm. ne- in terms of work needed. Yes, Right. You could still end up with a grand final product. So I'm interested in, in learning more and networking more uh, so that I can work a lot smarter than harder yeah. uh, on what I do, too. I, not that I don't love building things. I do. It's like Lego. Mm-hmm. But I, I absolutely love efficiency I'm a, and, and snowballing, right? You're snowballing now. Exactly. Yeah. I would say like, that's the biggest principle that I've always tried to keep in mind is that efficiency principle. And you know what I mean? I've been fortunate that the deals have come up and presented themselves in a way where I can take advantage of them, mm-hmm. but that's exactly the thing. There's different, we're all chasing different benefits, right? So you're mm-hmm. probably seeing amazing growth in net worth. And then in addition, your ability to build a scalable business, to do different projects, yeah. to do creative things and really take it to the next level. So, yeah. 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 Well, the, the net, net worth thing, I remember one summer I had, I had two properties after each other and I bought the one, I closed it April 27th. By the time like November 15th rolled around, I had refinanced and based on appraised value, yeah. I had added like $230,000 to my net worth in like a five, six month period. Yeah. And I actually didn't use a dime of my own money. Nice. And they were just, they were what you call burr, right? You buy, you renovate, you rent it out, you refinance it with the bank, and then you just keep going. And and that was when I was able to get the property for just the right price and 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 uh, and then, you know, do the right renovation to it and, and get that value. So the the power of of growth that you can have oh, is so amazing, is amazing if you implement this burr strategy, which I think did. Have you ever done that or has it always been saving? 100 percent. I've done the burr. I've refinanced a couple properties now. It's mostly, actually, I'm still waiting. At the end of this year, I'll have three that I'm going to be able to refinance and pull out. Mm-hmm. But I've been following the method pretty similarly. You know what I mean? Buy, renovate, rent. And then I've just maybe not been refinancing, but I've still been able to repeat enough. Yeah. So by being frugal, he, uh, he managed to make it work. Exactly. I, th- I think this is the classic case of I think frugality is a really smart thing. And, and I, I'm, I'm working with uh, my fiance to uh, try and get us <laughs> yeah. more on, on that track. Um, so that's kind of my nature in, in general. Yeah. What I've learned from, from her mom, uh, Carmen at ProFunds, who has been a huge mentor to me, yeah. is that uh, there's always a creative strategy to put no money in and get a deal done. Yes. And uh, their, their growth has been beyond anything I've ever seen anywhere. Like, I, I can't even imagine and don't want to comment on their net worth, but <laughs> it would be awesome uh, yeah. if I knew the number. Inspiring. It, it's quite inspiring, everything they've done. I mean, at this point, I, I tried estimating her. I had her on the show. I tried estimating the number of doors she owns. And yeah. the problem is so many of them are in development. Like she has 12 townhouse blocks approved, haven't started building yet. It's just, when are we going to build them? And that's, wow. that's one site in Kitchener. And then I'm going to be building another 15 uh, townhouses for her in a place uh, west of London here and 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 they're just everywhere. So I mean, if we were to really come up with the number, she'd probably be in the over 10,000 units. Oh. We don't even know. Wow. We'd have to like count for days to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, between owned, in development, you know, currently in the sale process, uh, you know, and obviously the ownership levels change, but having that person in my life as a mentor and having, you know, having that inspiration 
oh it's so huge right yeah so i love taking you know taking little bits and pieces from her and taking it from from guys like you and and pulling it all together right we all have our own path how we got here yes and when we share it it's so cool because then we say oh well if i just implement what dylan did then maybe I can really, uh, really put this on steroids. Definitely. Yeah. And one thing that I kind of like yeah. to the way I view myself is yeah. that I view myself as kind of in the intermediate level of investing. Mm-hmm. I've done a few deals. I've done some creative deals. I feel like I'm generally knowledgeable, in a lot of areas, and I have a few specializations, but that's what I kind of love about this network is that then you have a lot of the beginner guys that are just getting into the game, right? And they've mm-hmm. got this passion and this energy and they're all fired up and excited. And you can use that to help motivate you. And they've got this like kind of, uh, they call it like the white belt or beginner eye where they see things yeah. creatively. But then you also got these guys that are just crushing it at this high level, the super advanced, mm-hmm. I mean, the one percenters and learning from those types of people in terms of how they run their business. And mm-hmm. and it's just, it's awesome having that balance, right? I've heard uh, the law of 33%, right? 33% of the people should be below you. So you can kind of be like a mentor. 33% okay. of your people should be kind of around your level so you can kind of compete mm-hmm. with them, have fun with them, just chill with them. And then you've got 33 that are above you, right? And it's it's almost like the saying, if you're yeah. not the smartest person in the room, you almost feel like anxious when you get around them because you want to make sure you say intelligent things and it, it forces you to sharpen right. that sword. I really like what you're saying there. So so for our meetups, that's what I'm shooting for too. I want some of yeah. those huge superstars to come out and, and you know make me feel a little bit inadequate so that I can <laughs> you know pull me up, right? And I'll, I'll do the same, right? And I know that's... Uh, Hopefully you can come too. I'm not sure if you'll be able to come, but uh, I would love to have you there at, at our meetup. And I'm awesome. sure a lot of people would uh, would love to hear what you have to say. Nice. Um, yeah, because yeah, you might be intermediate in your group, but you come around another group and you might actually be uh, looked at as the, you know, the lead guy in the room. You guys are hosting a meetup here as well, are you not? Definitely, yeah. So we have two meetups that we host in London. Kind of, I'm speaking with we, myself, and kind of my immediate circle, the real estate rat pack, as well as some of the other young guys who have been kind mm-hmm. of working hard together. We have a real estate meetup called Real, the Real Estate Association of London. Okay. And so it's kind of like a monthly meetup that we host. Additionally, right now, Andrew's shooting this out of the mansion. If anyone's watching this live, mm-hmm. you see our podcast studio. So we have kind of our mastermind mansion that um, the organization started by Matt McKeever and Jeff Weibo, the Real Estate Rat Pack. They kind of sponsor that and they do more of the larger events like the Vegas Entrepreneur Experience Mastermind or OREC, the Ontario Real Estate Conventions that are going on all over yeah. Ontario. And then additionally, I partner with kind of some other young guys in the area to do some networking. Um, Like we have a group called London on Fire, which stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And that's kind of more of the uh, financial independence group or the retire early and and all that kind of thing. I I know frugality is the word and kind of gets a bad rap sometimes, but just Mm -hmm. conscious consumption. And that way you have like entrepreneurs as well as real estate investors and things like that nature. I think with, yeah, you're right. Frugality might get a, a bad, a bad rap, but it shouldn't. It's, it's. I think that the reality is it, you have to look at your spending and say, where am I getting value yes. and where am I not? Because 100%. spending does not bring happiness. No. It, it, and there, if you really, if anyone sat down and and I do this quite regularly and I look at where I'm spending and I say, is that bringing value to my, my life or is it not? You know, could I could I get rid of it? For me, like hotel rooms, like when, when I go places, I don't need a nice hotel room. I just yeah. need one that I'm not going to get bed bugs in. Yeah. If I'm if I'm going out touring a place, you know, I'm traveling to another country. I don't care where I sleep as long as I get a decent night's sleep and I don't get like mugged. Yes. I, I want to be, you know, safe and happy and healthy. Uh, but it's I'm going there for the sights and the scenes. Right. Yeah. Whereas if I was going somewhere and it was like an all inclusive, well, then maybe the hotel matters more. Right. So 
just mm-hmm. kind of analyzing things where, where am I getting value? And I know the whole financial independence thing is all about frugality, but I think that that you everyone applies that a little bit differently. Like, where do you get value? Spend on the value, but then where it's not value, don't spend. A hundred percent. Yeah, if I, if I actually, I may, there's a really interesting yeah. concept, um, spirituality that I think applies really well to this. And I don't want to yeah. go too tangent because I, I love how, how functional your podcast is and how great it goes into the real estate numbers. But anyways, so it's the concept in personal development and in spirituality that uh, first you start with having, then mm. you go into doing, and then finally you reach a level of being. And so financially, yeah. I think it speaks volumes, right? Because a lot of times people, they base their feeling of financial success around having things. Mm-hmm. So that's that first level of consciousness. And don't get me wrong. Somebody can be rich, have tons of money, but still their self-image is based on the having. It's based on, mm-hmm. oh, well, I'm rich because I have the car, right? Yeah. So then the second level is uh, the doing. And this is kind of the level where you know you're wealthy and you feel rich inside because you're able to do things that generate value. And you feel that value from within and you've done multiple mm-hmm. deals and you get your enjoyment through that, right? Like, I don't know about you, but I know I would feel like I actually feel less rich if I'm driving a nicer car mm-hmm. because I know logically I've spent that money versus if I'm doing a bigger deal, if all of a sudden I close on a property that's bigger than anything I've done before, then I feel more wealthy and I feel more confident about that. Nice. And then the final level is just being. And I think this is the interesting one. It's imagine if you had Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, or Warren Buffett, or any one of those guys, mm-hmm. they don't have to front. They don't care. They don't have to talk about their stuff. They are yeah. just they are just wealth personified, right? Because they've they've fully internalized that. So, yeah, um, kind of my spiritual view on just uh, the way people view kind of wealth levels. Well, you know, I I think there's value to this, and I don't mind at all that we're going down this philosophical uh, rabbit hole because. Honestly, yeah, every episode, if, if people want to see numbers, go back through every single podcast I've done. Probably like maybe two of them. We haven't gone into numbers. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they're all over the place. And by the way, like go right back. If you want to learn about Bert, go right right back to episode one and start there. Um, it, this is very I try and make every episode a little bit different, get a different take, get into a little bit uh, different. And I think your mindset at 26 years old to have accomplished what you have. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're doing something that most people are not doing. Mm-hmm. If I'm. If I'm looking at you and telling you objectively what I see, I see a guy who who obviously is well educated and it's self educated mm-hmm. for the most part, I think. Yes. Um, and and why do you speak so well? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I f- I feel like uh, I've always been um, a pretty verbose individual, and then coupling that with listening to multiple podcasts on times two speed as well. So yeah, I mean, you I get really too, quick. Yes. Yeah, that's the, that's the pro tip. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think that's kind of where it comes. I, I yeah. love public speaking and I love sharing ideas yeah. and I've always been a talker. So I've I've um, I'm a talker, too. Definitely. I, yes. I, yeah. I learned that. I, <laughs> I learned that, I guess I used to teach at Western at the university here in town. Awesome. I did uh, three years of teaching there. So I, I learned to kind of get comfortable in, in, in speaking in front of people. So now I do some of the so I still have my mortgage license and pro funds will hire me. Uh, to do the the public speaking at uh, like the key spire and other like real estate investing uh, events. Very cool. So I'll do some of those, but um, just the way you've been able to hone, hone it in and, and really tighten it up. Uh, it's impressive, man. So thank you. You know, I think that there's a lot of people who are going to learn a lot from you and if they're not following you, then this is an opportunity to them follow you. Maybe that's kind of yeah. big picture. I'd love yeah. to go that route. And you know what I mean? I yeah. love, I get energized hearing about you talking about yeah, you know I mean, teaching at Western, being able to yeah. go up on stage and speak with like Key Spire and all those great individuals and organizations. Like, 
Yeah. That's what really excites me and I'm really passionate about. I think sharing knowledge and being able to connect with awesome yeah. people, it's just a, such a great way to give value, but then it's such an easy way to receive value too, right? And get into yeah. that. So yeah. you do you, you enjoy that? You kind of get like a little high off of being on stage in front love of people? Love it. I love, yeah. yeah, the public speaking and all that. So, and I think definitely yes. future, like the super future long-term goals in terms of what you want to be doing, mm -hmm. I would love to be kind of plugged into that niche as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Being a bit of a coach or a mentor or a teacher. Mm -hmm. I really hate these days though, how you always get the 20 something year old life guru and all that kind of stuff. So wishy-washy. I'm not a fan of it either. Oh yeah. All those. But it's the insincerity around that, right? Like yes. you would not be that person. And, and I try to be as upfront as I can on this podcast about where I'm at and yeah. don't BS because why do you want to BS somebody? People have a BS filter. I don't get that that sense from you that you would ever do that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the mistake a lot of these guys make is is one, they're leading with gimme, gimme, gimme. Yeah. Come come follow me. And they're not leading with value and they're fronting like they got everything Lamborghini. I just don't want to see that. Yeah. You know what? Show something cool. Give people something like be, I just seen it too much, just like you have. Right. You, yes. You know what? Ninety eight percent of those people are probably scamming somebody. Exactly. Maybe two percent are good and maybe my numbers are wrong. But I mean, everybody's guards up with that. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's so ridiculous when you like when you realize how how much faster it is to build a relationship through authenticity. And mm. it's interesting. I have some experience doing wholesaling. So with wholesaling real estate, I, I spent a year kind of last year is when I got into it and I almost did it full time for about a period of eight months. And it was very interesting during that process because wholesaling is a heavy kind of sales based activity. Additionally, it does get a bit of a bad rap in terms of people being dishonest or being a bit of a bully. But I found honestly, the, one of the most powerful, if you will, sales techniques mm -hmm. is literally just that full authenticity is just really yeah. letting down your guard and connecting with the other person. And yeah. people can sense that intuitively. Yes. And it just, yeah, it makes things so much more enjoyable. Oh, yeah. People who have trouble selling, I think they're trying to be something that they're not. Yes. And they're misrepresenting something. If you just say, look, Jim, I'm in this business to make money. I got to make money. I got to buy your house for a deal. But the bonus here is mm -hmm. you have a problem and I can solve it. Yeah. And, and putting it to the, you know, it. I've made these mistakes and learned from making them. Yeah. I learned that sales does never, never works inauthentically. Mm -hmm. it, it only works authentically. So that's cool. Tell me about this wholesaling. I want to hear what you did. Definitely. Yeah. So actually that was a cool process because early on in my investing career, I was trying to find these good deals, right? They say in real estate, you make money when you buy. It's so true, right? So I started out and was just kind of practicing all the strategies you would utilize for finding deals. You know what I mean? Posting ads online, reaching out to people, um, door knocking, bandit signs, flyers, everything. Early on, I would start to get these little leads that would come up. And I was very focused on what I wanted into my portfolio. I wanted high cash flow deals that had value add potential that could renovate them too. You know what I mean, just really good deals um, for a financial freedom perspective. So I find these deals, typically I find though when you're marketing for deals, you'll find more flip type deals because just because there's fewer multifamily and rental type properties than there are like single family that are in rough shape. So you'll find a lot of these potential flip deals. And at the time I wasn't looking to do flips. So I'd reach out to guys in my network and be like, hey, what do you, what do you want for this? Right. Kind of thing. Actually early on, it was terrible. I was like giving deals away. Like I was like, Hey man, just give me a coffee. It's all good. Or <laughs> buy me a box of protein bars. You know what I mean? Like literally. So yeah, yeah uh, started, wasn't really capturing much value. And then I started realizing the value that was built into those deals. And so then kind of the next step was more bird dogging deals where you'll find people leads. 
you don't get the deal locked down under contract like you do with a conventional wholesale. Yeah. Why don't we just clarify that real quick? So wholesaling is when you you buy a deal, you 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 tie it up contractually, but you don't actually close on it. You actually find somebody else that will buy it. And then in that process, you mark it up and you take the spread. A hundred percent. Yeah. Bird that's dogging the more typical is different. Way. Bird dogging is different. And just explain that again. Yeah. Bird dogging is kind of a, a separate term that we like to use because it's not fully locking the deal up. Wholesaling, the activity of wholesaling and anything is buying or selling large quantities of goods. So if you're not locking the deal up, then you're not technically wholesaling it. You're doing what's called a bird dog. Uh, the analogy comes from like the old hunting dogs where a bird would get shot down and it would run out and grab it and bring it to the owner. It wasn't the one that killed the deal. It was the one that just collected it. Right. So for example, let's say I ran into buddy Andrew and Andrew's looking to sell his house. Mm-hmm. I talk with Andrew a little bit, just a casual conversation. And you're like, hey, I, I would sell it a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. Then I go, okay, cool. And I'll turn around and tell one of my other friends who's an investor, maybe yeah. looking to flip. I go, hey, I know this guy, Andrew. He's looking to sell for around a hundred thousand. Maybe you should give him, maybe you should talk to him. Yeah. And uh, then, yeah, then the investor will go in, maybe make something work. And Pick then you a little bit of a fee. Exactly. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice to do. So you were you were basically just you were mailing. You didn't want to lose an opportunity. So you're looking for deals for yourself. Yes. And what how many properties did you have at the point where you were doing that? So at that time I had two properties. So you had two. you wanted to grow it, but you wanted deals. This is what I never did, which is is sort of my my mistake. In, mm-hmm. in a way, I did other good things. But this is where I'm I'm looking now and I'm saying, OK, now it's time to put cash flow on steroids and start doing things like mail outs where, nice. where you start getting better deals, where you can create more cash flow and have your pan pick, right? Yes. When it's not on the market, you got, you're not competing against other people. You get to go in and negotiate a deal. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's obviously handy. So that's where you were. Did you know, you mentioned you were, I think you made the newspaper, didn't you? With, with yeah. one of your signs, somebody had like found his, his letter and it's like, hi, I'm Dylan. I want to buy your place. And, yeah. And, and actually ended up in a newspaper. that was a great one. Cause, yeah. uh, so I ended up put out all this, uh, marketing campaign and yeah. I get a call in the morning and this was just the perfect time. I just had my, my morning coffee, you know what I mean? Did my morning ritual. I was just in the zone. Right. So I get this yeah. call and, uh, I mean, typically your wholesale car will be like, Hey, uh, I got your flyer. This guy yeah. calls you. Hey, how's it going there? I just received your flyer. Like just that radio voice kind of thing. Yeah. But so I'm like, whose voices? It sounds kind of familiar. Anyways, I give him the, the whole spiel. And once again, I'm so in the zone, mm-hmm. just feeling grateful, just feeling authentic. Told him everything I was doing. Probably spoke with him for like 10 minutes on the phone, even though obviously he wasn't interesting to sell the radio yeah. DJ. So then I, I hang up and I was like, ah, interesting. You get a lot of those when you're putting out marketing for finding private deals, tire kickers, people sure. who are just curious, whatever. So anyways, I go back, go back to work about like two hours later, one of my buddies hits me up and he's like, Hey man, like you're on FM 96, which is the local London, like radio station. I'm like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, check it out. And he posts me to like the Facebook group. (laughs) And it was funny. It was like a picture of my, uh, my marketing was, I was using a flyer at the time. And, uh, the caption was a lot of people are getting these around London. Looks kind of fishy. looks like it could be a scam. I saw that. Yeah. I remember that. Exactly. But then after talking to me, he actually put it in like quotes. He's like update. I just spoke with Dylan and everything looks legit. He's like a young guy just looking out to hustle. And then it was amazing. Actually, once again, just the groundswell of the community, because I had, there was a few people posting social media, all the trolls and everything like that. The haters, (laughs) so many haters. But then I just kind of shared that um, on my wall. And I think a few other investors started sharing that because it was kind of, yeah. I mean, anytime somebody in your local network and real estate is doing something, everyone kind of talks about it. And so, yeah, just all the, all the support from the local investing community who jumped in into the comments and were like fighting people. And hmm. it was hilarious. It was awesome. Um, I remember there was one, there was one uh, girl that commented, she's like, 
this, this person needs business lessons. Maybe he should talk to me <laughs> and I can show him how to do business. Yeah. And I remember we clicked on her profile and she worked at like Wendy's or something like that. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's funny. Um, just side tangent, like how, how many people are eager to give advice, like planning for retirement. You got like people who, who had, don't have anything to retire on, like just save into your RSPs at, oh. or your 401k, you know, like whatever it is, just save yeah. in, you know, that'll get you there. Well, um, based on what evidence? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're, the evidence Evidence should be evident, you know, you know, you should be able to see it. I and like that. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I just came up with that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Coining it now. Right. Uh, yeah. People just spout this, like these little phrases, these terms of phrase, these quotes that they hear that yeah. aren't really applicable or relevant at all. It, yeah. It's, it's old unquestioned wisdom that wasn't that wise. Yeah. And it was just something that people did and they said it because their parents said it. I forget where I heard this, but, um, so there was this, it's like this, uh, story it was in a book and, and it'll come to me eventually where this came from but this kid asks their mom she's preparing uh, the thanksgiving ham and every time she cut off the sides and and she's like well, why do you do that i don't know that's what my mom always did yeah and then she goes to grandma and asks so well, why do you why do you cut off that side she's like i don't know it's my my grandma always or my mom always cut off the ends mm -hmm. so then she you know has a chance to go meet great grandma great grandma i'm really curious like why do you make your thanksgiving ham that way and the answer was well if I didn't cut off the ends, it wouldn't fit into the pot. Yeah. People do things because the people before them did it mm -hmm. and the people before them did it. And, and one of the, my biggest concerns when I have kids and one of the reasons I've hesitated and I'm in my 30s and I don't have kids yet. And, yeah. and my hesitation is that I want to be able to teach them to think for themselves, yeah. to, to actually trust evidence and to question everything, which That's awesome. I don't know why I learned that, why I do that. I just somewhere along the line, something didn't make sense to me. And I started questioning everything. Yeah. Which I think you need to, to go down this road. You need to have questioned things. Yeah. And uh, as long as you're on that and you're saying what makes sense. I mean, of course, you don't have time in the day to question everything. <laughs> right. But uh, but you can start to get a sense for what information you can trust and what information you should. You should. That question. exactly. And especially in the important areas in life. Right. Like right now, I, I like to try to make things simple. Uh, one way I look at life is like three really important areas for me are like my my financial, which ties into career vocation. I mean, the work that you're mm -hmm. doing, the value you're putting forth. Uh, next would be health and fitness and like energy levels and physicality and just mm -hmm. kind of like the, the way your body feeling, making sure you're healthy and wholesome. Right. And then third would be kind of relationships. You know, what I mean, friends, families, romantic relationships, yeah. you know, what I mean, business relationships, all those kind of things. And so when you come to really important areas like that, you really want to make sure you're optimizing the strategies you're using. And yeah. if you take the cookie cutter out of the box strategy, by definition, it's not going to be optimized for your individual situation. Correct. Yeah. Like whatever's mediocre is never great. It's never the best. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like think of like the uh, pop music. Pop music is popular because it's good for a lot of people, but it's never the best music. Yeah. Right? Not so, uh, for your specific taste. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, I do love pop music. I'm driving in the car. I know. I really like that, that new one uh, that's on the radio, uh, Panic at the Disco song. <laughs> oh, yes. It's motivated. I love the inspirational motivation, right? From the Fallout at the Disco. Yeah. It's like Fallout Boy and Panic at the Disco mixed. I thought it was Fallout Boy, but yeah, it's Panic. Yeah. Well, yeah. They, yeah, it's the long story. We won't oh, go there. They're yeah. related. They're, they produce each other or uh, Fallout Boy found them. Anyways, nice. Why are we going? That's a this? great tangent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's funny. I, I love this conversation, though, because I mean, mm -hmm. you're a guy that we could get into the technicals of what you've done, but it's ridiculous because what you've done is so extraordinary compared to what people do at your age. Mm -hmm. I mean, yourself, Mike Rosehart, Kellen, you guys are all examples of guys who are really young, who who surrounded yourselves with a lot of other people and had a whole ton of hustle. Yeah. And, and made it happen. 
which uh, I think is necessary for most people in their 20s, is you got to hustle. Oh, yeah. Hustle then. 100%. Eventually, one day, you'll have such a nest egg that you can invest it passively and there's no more hustle needed. Yes. Um, That's but, a uh, dream. A couple of specifics on the the uh, the wholesaling. You put out bandit signs. Did you ever get in trouble for doing that? Curious. Um, No, I did have like one time I had a city inspector call me and he called me through like a private number and everything like that. And uh, so, he yeah, said, come take this down. <laughs> no, he was fishing for information and it was pretty blatantly apparent. And uh, you can tell when you're going right. to have like a buyer or seller, you can tell where things yeah. are at. And so, yeah, I kind of like trolled him a little bit too. He's like, what's your name? I'm like, oh, Brian Bomber, you know, like, HGTV. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, did you give out your regular number or did you have a separate number for that? Yeah, I did use a separate number. Yeah. Smart, yeah. like a line two or what, what do they call it? Uh, a burner number is the... Uh, Burner number? A, oh, it's, a burner phone is the uh, drug classification of it because drug dealers have a phone that they can just burn yeah. in case the in case the five O is on their tail. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, I used a separate SIM card. I used a pay as you go, and then yeah. I I put that into my phone. Some of the Android phones nowadays can have like two SIMs, dual SIM. Exactly. Yeah. There's a, I think there's a, I used to have it. I think it's called Line Two, and it's an app, and you yes. can buy a phone number, and it rings on your phone, but it's through an app, awesome. so it's through data. Yeah, um, there is a consideration about they could still through that number find they can out who track you are. your initial. But yeah, I don't really think, you know, what I mean, I was being overcautious when I got started. Yeah, it, the, yeah the, the one concern I would have is that you get a call one day. They're like, everything we see your number on, come take it all down or we're going to charge you. Yeah, that's one thing that's all, that's been on my I know, obviously, hugely unlikely. Mm-hmm. Maybe just block your phone number. Just it's smart case. to be aware yeah. of it. But yeah, yeah. In, in Ontario, uh, any guys that have been doing it, I haven't heard of that type yeah. of pushback. And then in terms of the strategies you've done for your wholesaling, uh, were you sending up flyers through Canada Post, like the actual post postage, yes. or were you distributing them? So I've done both of those strategies. And then technically a third, Canada Post is great. You can blanket massive areas, send a lot out. They're yeah. super quick, super reliable, and a very good price. I have also hired guys in the past to deliver them for sometimes slightly cheaper than Canada mm-hmm. Post. Just for figures, uh, Canada Post would maybe be like 14 to 16 cents per okay. delivery if you're doing like a mass drop. Okay. Hiring out somebody, I had guys doing it for around 10 cents for okay. delivery. So you're saving a bit. Your percentage save is pretty good there, but they're not as reliable. It's not all at the same time. And, yeah. and also to you're kind of babysitting them a little bit. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't do it again. I had this lady that uh, I, I made some door hangers, the yellow door hangers, and I gave them to her. She, she stole my door hangers, yeah. took my money. Yeah. And did nothing. She probably had a million door hangers on her door and on her windows and every surface. I'm pretty sure she just took our 200 bucks and went to a dumpster, dropped off the, yeah. <laughs> the flyers. Done. Just, yeah. yeah. So exactly. Yeah. That's a headache. With the door hangers, Canada yeah. Post won't hang them. So no, yeah. So it doesn't yeah. work. You need somebody was, privately to distribute. Exactly. Um, if you're going to hang them, which is cool. Probably the same thing with uh, USPS in the States. Uh, you know, you're probably only going to be able to get the thing in their mailbox. Um, so in the mailbox, were you doing like half an eight and a half by 11 sheet? Or did you cut it in two or did you use a full, a full eight and a half by 11 sheet? I would use a full eight and a half by 11 sheet, and then I would have it folded up. And there's times where I had it in on envelope with a custom stamp. That'd be like yeah. important notice, like a big red stamp. Okay. And there's other times where I just use the paper itself. What, I mean, obviously this is, this is going to change depending on area and based on what other people in your area are doing mm-hmm. out of the ones you tried, what one did you find the most success with? So I found the success rates on all of them was very similar because, and it's also very difficult to suss out because you're dealing with such large numbers to get like a, 
you know any conversion rate percentage mm -hmm. it's pretty hard because you're just because you're doing too many at the same time hard to track one against the other yeah and then there's yeah. a lot of variables like time of year when you're yeah. doing it what area you're targeting things mm -hmm. like that so yeah i found just keeping it simple was kind of the best strategy yeah so, i mean just the simple flyer simple language you know what yeah. i mean um even without the without the envelope was easier to do less expensive less, so less work to stuff them right because you have exactly. to provide them all um <laughs> Yeah, you're obviously going to want something that's that stands out yeah. and, and colorful. This is why people don't do like a colorful ad because that's the same thing as everything else they get in the mail. Yeah. You want it, you want the one thing that stands out. That's why they call them yellow letters originally, but now everyone does yellow, so that almost doesn't stand out. Yeah. So now you got to get, okay, what color am I going to do that does? Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's obviously a, a strategy there. How many houses were you hitting at a time? So... Back in our peak last year, we were probably doing about four to six thousand per month flyers. Okay. And if you did four to six thousand per month, how many deals were you getting um, on a month? Like, how, I know you're going to get a lot of calls. Yeah. So we can dive into that. But how many closed deals would you say you were getting per month when you got going? Yeah. So we probably average around 1.5. You know what I mean? Because during the good months, now we are really focusing on our, our efforts during the kind of peak real estate season. So during kind of winter, early or sorry, late fall and winter, things mm -hmm. cool down a lot. And it's just, you're, you're not seeing as many deals. Okay. But during the peak time in the summer, I feel like it would be, yeah, 1.5. Mm -hmm. We're probably closer to two most months. And yeah, typically I would say at least 75% of that was from the flyers because at the time we were spending the most money into that advertising campaign. Mm -hmm. Then we would also get a trickle of deals from other advertising methods. So, you know, I mean, like I was saying earlier, we we're doing the um, online ads. So okay, a like little Facebook bit of, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Facebook and Google pay-per-click. Additionally, yeah. having like a website running. Additionally, uh, Kijiji. So posting stuff on Kijiji, yeah. Craigslist, and then calling there's posting, so you're posting the ads out and there's additionally calling, calling people who are yeah. maybe posting rental ads or posting and call handymen or other real estate professionals who are posting real estate ads and just letting them know. So you're just looking. calling them up, emailing them. I, I have a friend that does that. He just emails everybody who has a rental listing and just asks them to sell. And exactly. he gets deals all the time, yeah. all the time. It's just about starting that conversation. I think everyone's going to have a different closing rate, yes. you know, based on how you interact with people. Uh, and it's something you could probably really work on at home as you go. Yeah. Um, so if you're doing, uh, so 1.5 deals for say, so we'll call it 4,000 houses to get one deal, like 4,000 flyers roughly gets you one. If, if you get in 1.5, oh, it's every, yeah, 1.5 deals every month, right? Yeah. Definitely. And you're 4,000 to 6,000 a month. Yeah. So if we said maybe 4,000 flyers to get one deal, roughly. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if we're looking at numbers like that, so Let's just get a quick number here on what it's costing you. So 4000 to get one deal and it is, uh, you said 16 cents maybe on average? Yeah, so it'd be uh, 20, probably closer to 22 because you have to print the okay. print them out with yeah, the printing materials. So, yeah. so you're really not that much, but you do have to have a budget for this. Uh, so $880 roughly to get a, a deal. Yeah. Now, <laughs> that $880, how does that stack up compared to the deal that you got and how much are you winning like an instant equity on a deal that you get oh yeah there we go so yeah well that's the thing right if you're even if you're lazy and you're bird dogging it you're probably making at least one to three thousand mm -hmm. then if you're able to actually get that deal under contract and assign it and actually do a proper wholesale then you're looking at you know what i mean 
around 10,000, if not more, depending on the strength of the deal. And then if it's a deal you take on yourself, well, now the numbers start getting crazy. Yeah. So if you were to take maybe one of those flips, I don't know if you ever looked at that, but mm-hmm. maybe you took like maybe a Sean Allen approach to one of them. Yeah. What kind of profit do you think you would have seen in those type of deals? So yeah, actually we, looking back at the deals, there were a couple of deals that we wholesaled last year that were just fantastic deals that afterwards you're kicking yourself. You're like, I could have closed on that one. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we were seeing ones that were profiting, you know what I mean? Like 70,000, 80,000, yeah. like potentially. Now we have had a really good year of yeah. appreciation. So there's a bit of that. Yeah. So if you hadn't factored that, it probably would have been more like 30, 40 or something like that. Maybe. I think at yeah. least 50 on some of these. So yeah, yeah. Some of them are pretty good, but yeah. Man, it makes you just wish you flipped them yourself. It's crazy, right? Yeah. In hindsight, yeah. you just want to do all the deals, especially in, in a rising market. In hindsight. Yeah. I, I joke all the time. That's awesome. <laughs> I haven't cracked many jokes in this podcast yet, so it's it's my turn. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, so that's that's the dramatic difference in the number, right? So yes, you yeah. need to have a budget and it might take you three months of spending, you know, $1,000 a month before you get that that call that, that clicks. But yeah. if that deal is a $50,000 deal, was that not worth it? Exactly. Yeah, so I just wanted to put that in perspective because this is something I've been on the fence with too is, you know, am I going to start sending out these letters? Like I'm working on some bigger term plays. I'm trying to line up an eight plex right now and then a 10 unit build. Nice. All of this. And then am I going to be flipping properties too? Yeah. And uh, there's a lot to do, but I mean, one's a short term income play and then the other is a long term wealth play. Yeah. And I like to have both going at the same time at all times. So, exactly. Um, so that's where my head's at with that. But uh, man, we've had a cool conversation here. Yeah. Dude. Oh, it's <laughs> always a blast. I remember the first time we talked at the meetup. Like, yeah, yeah we, we talked. We had a good one. Then we were even in the parking lot yeah. talking before getting Followed the me to my car. Yeah. <laughs> well, because I remember you stuck out because you were so into, like I was just throwing out a couple little numbers and you sussed together kind of the whole picture of what was going on. Yeah. I was like, man, that's a a smart guy there so oh, thanks i appreciate that yeah. I, I thought the same of you i was i was blown away by how much you accomplished how quick mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of these guys that just came up it's just like i've never met guys so young doing it right to me it's like oh uh, yeah you're gonna do the same thing i did you know putter around for your 20s and then you finally figure it out towards the end no you figured it out yeah which exactly. is awesome yeah like, we have a guy in our network yeah. right now that's uh, like 16 and got three properties i think he's i know yeah three. he was on uh, 30 minutes 12th yeah, um, yeah what's his name uh his name's tyson tyson yeah yeah i've uh briefly seen him in passing i haven't met him but uh yeah incredible yeah incredible. and then we yeah. actually had a meetup at our mansion here mm-hmm. it was um i can't remember maybe it was a private deal or a burr meetup and another kid who was once again 16 yeah. who was friends with him came down who was just starting his journey yeah and uh yeah his mom dropped him off amongst like all the investors and then yeah she's like oh what time does this end and we're like oh it goes kind of late because we <laughs> our masterminds you know I mean? we go late we yeah. hang out we get super into the weeds in terms of just like yeah going deep in topics um but yeah he came and hung out and it was so cool because like yeah. speaking with a 16 year old who's just starting his journey in that way like it just it feels so cool to be able to give that kind of value. Yeah. Like, man, I like I know what you're going through. I remember what 16 was like. And like, yeah. it's so amazing. Here's some things, you know, I mean, imagine going back and telling, speaking yeah. to yourself when you're 16, how good if, that would feel. If only I could have, you know, surrounded myself with people like you and, and you know, Jeff and Matt and, and all that, like oh. back in the day, you know, back when I was 18, I never thought I, I thought I wanted to invest, but I never thought it was possible to, yeah. to now see it and, and references are what make you believe in your heart that it's possible, right? Seeing people doing it, that's why meetups are so important because you you say, well, if Dylan can do it, I can figure this out, right? Yeah. Because I can just follow Dylan and stalk him and find out everything he owns <laughs> and what he did. And and I've practiced that <laughs> method too. I, you know, that's how I've pretty much done everything I've done, right? So exactly. Um, 
you know, that's, that's fantastic. So Dylan, if people wanted to reach out to you, I know you haven't really dove into the social media quite so much yet, yep. but I'm sure people can still reach you and connect. Definitely. Uh, what's the best way? Facebook is great for sending me like direct messages. Instagram's great too. Instagram at Dylan McLaughlin and then just Facebook sure. me too. I'm sure if you're looking for me, I'll reach out to guys in the network and you'll be able to find me. And yeah, I love talking, connecting. Well, I'll post, I'll post a link in the show notes so that people can, uh, can uh, connect with you that way. Perfect. Um, We've done a lot, so I'm going to... Okay, what's a hobby outside of real estate and reading? Hobby outside of real estate and reading is definitely uh, biohacking and health and fitness and all that kind of stuff. So I use the term biohacking just because just I love, you know what I mean, experimenting with supplements, experimenting with drugs, experimenting with exercise and breathing mm-hmm. and all these kind of things. I think it's so cool how all of it kind of ties together and becomes holistic, like... I'm, I nerd out on that stuff. So okay. that could be a whole separate podcast episode. But Yeah, yeah, we could do that. I'll have to turn this into the Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. Um, and then what's your favorite thing that, that real estate has allowed you to do? My favorite thing? Oh, definitely quitting my job. That's been, yeah. technically I haven't quit my job. Uh, I'm a contractor, construction worker, so I can kind of flow mm-hmm. in and out, which is helpful for financing and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, recently I was able to take a little bit of time off work and that's just amazing. Like, you know what I mean? It's such a great goal to have. A lot of people in our community have that goal, but once you yeah. hit it, just not having to commute to work in the mornings, yep. having that morning, like, man, I, I had a hard time getting workouts in because it's hard to work out before you have to drive to work. You got all that yeah. pressure. When you're able to, you know what I mean, do things on your own time, optimize your own schedule, like the amount of freedom from that is just amazing. I wake up uh, just feeling so grateful for that, especially now we're getting yeah. into the summer, the bright sun. Oh, I days. can't wait for it. I can't wait for for the sunny days and and leaving the door open while while I work. So yeah, I commute to uh, the front of my house for, uh, <laughs> for work where my desk is from the kitchen. Nice. So, uh, you know, that, I'm grateful for that. You know, I'm able to work from home. So I, I do, uh, you know, I'm always scheming on my next my next buy, um, or, you know, a project that I'm building out or something like that. So, yeah. um, you know, grateful for those opportunities. So it's cool. I can definitely relate to, uh, to what you're saying. So anyways, Dylan, it's been a slice. Definitely, uh, we'll man. definitely have to Blast. have you on again. I'm sure we could fill up four hours of content right now, but we won't do that. Sweet. Uh, yeah. Anyways. So thanks again, man. And, uh, we'll see you guys in the next one.